not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. Oh my god, guys, listen up. I have an announcement to make. Did you guys know that I'm like the number one Google search last week? It could be the stuff of history, however, one way or the other. Okay, is Jessica Simpson here yet? And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic girly man. And you'll never have to pour or measure detergent again. Can we, can we all get along? Terror, horror, death. Film at 11. How many sides does a triangle have? Damn, four. There's no side. One. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Hello, Brain Trust. It is another last week on Earth, both that has gone by and that has begun, both time-wise and podcast-wise. Is it confusing enough yet? Is the world confusing enough yet? Have you been locked down? Do you still have friends? Do you think your friends will remember you if you ever see them again? Are your friends now zombies? If a friend came to your door and said, I'm normal, I'm a non-zombie, non-coronavirus friend, let me in, please. Do you let them in? Do you open the door? Do you open the door but splash hand sanitizer in their face? Do you wipe them down with Clorox wipes? What if your friends got toilet paper and sandwiches in the reverse order? Do you let them in then? A lot of existential questions being brought up in our lives, and we don't know what to do. These are uncharted times. These are unchart chart charted chart charts are off the charts. There's no chart for the times like this. Okay? So we used to have charts for the times, and then people said, No, throw the charts away from these times. There's no historical charting for a brand new time. Who charted? I don't know the answer to that. That was Howard Kremer's podcast. Does he still do it? I don't know the answer to that either. What I do know is that you almost wish you could be oblivious that the coronavirus was happening. You almost wish you could be Jared Leto. Did you hear that story this week? Jared Leto was just in a two-week silent meditation retreat in the woods somewhere. Of course he was. I imagine that he sleeps in silent meditation retreats every night of his life. Complete strange character. Comes out, was unaware coronavirus had spread to a much larger degree and that people were on quarantine around the globe. We thought it was great to be quarantined from Jared Leto for a couple of weeks. Get a couple of Leto-free weeks. And Leto's back now. Sure, he's by himself, but he's on social media and he won't stop. How much do you think he spends a year on eyeliner? The amount of money he must spend on eyeliner and long trench coats. Hard to imagine. And the number of necklaces. Do he and Johnny Depp shop together? There are a lot of existential questions. We don't know. These are uncharted times. I would love it if John John Depp and Jared Leto were, were held up together in a, in a, somewhere in a hole, in a silent hole. I think we'd be able to get through these times a lot better. Because I care about the world, unlike Vanessa Hudgens. Doesn't care. Says people are going to die. Goes on Instagram Live and is like, people are going to die. Sucks, but like whatever. I don't get what all the freaking out is about. People tried to cancel Vanessa Hudgens instantly. We're still trying to cancel people, even during the dawning of the apocalypse. The perhaps literal last week on Earth. People are like, but also still, can we like all gang up on Vanessa Hudgens? 
And look, not that I'm not ganging up right now, but wait till my next sentence. Relax, everybody. It's Vanessa Hudgens. I don't even know what she's from, High School Musical? Whoever looks to stars of High School Musical to get their their pandemic advice. I don't. I look to her Instagram occasionally on Thursdays for her Thirsty Thursdays. She does. She excels at that. So I feel like stick to her Thirsty Thursday videos that she tries to tempt the world. Once she starts talking global pandemic science, I think tune out. I feel like that's the line of where we should or should not listen to the words of Vanessa Hudgens. I feel like don't listen to the words. Watch the videos. Watch them on mute. Don't try to cancel the person. She's got an opinion like everybody else. And like everybody else, like most other people, they shouldn't express them ever. Just be quiet and do Thirsty Thursdays. I'm going to be doing Thirsty Thursdays on my Patreon, by the way. Patreon.com slash Ben Glebe. Don't say a man in his 40s can't do Thirsty Thursdays. You get on that Patreon. I might be posting some revealing thirst trap videos. Definitely letting you behind the scenes of the podcast. Definitely doing a bonus podcast every month. Definitely doing um, special live Q&A chats. I'll call you. I'll send you a handwritten note in the mail. You'll get an official Glebe. You'll get, sorry, you'll get an official brain, uh, brain trust. I'm losing my mind. A brain trust membership card in the mail, depending on what level you sign up for. I'll even take you to lunch. Check out patreon.com slash benglebe if you can afford it if you can't please keep enjoying for free like we've been doing for the last nine years but if you can afford five bucks a month that would be amazing ten bucks a month it's even more perks i'm jam-packing it full of benefits if you're interested because i can't go on the road or do stand-up ever again on account of the world ending and also since the world's ending maybe you need an extra five ten bucks who knows if you do of course i'm kidding and don't save it for yourself by by hand sanitizer if you can get a hold of it, but we all know you can't. So sign up for the Patreon if possible. Just check that out. Also, I started something else in addition to this podcast to entertain you all. A little bit more free entertainment. Every single day, seven days a week, I'm doing currently, I might be adjusting the schedule to a few less days next week, I'm not sure, but Steve Hofstetter and Chris Bowers and I teamed up and are doing a daily live comedy club that... I'm calling the Social Distancing Social Club. I had the idea as soon as everything shut down in society and comedy clubs no longer exist that I should create an online comedy club. I thought that was a cool idea to be able to create the experience of live entertainment with an audience for people. And I thought to do that, you need laughter. Comedians need live laughter. That's why stand-up comedy is not a podcast. Different beasts, different animals. Animales diferentes. And so... I realized we could probably recreate that vibe by inviting certain audience members to buy a ticket. You can get it for 10 bucks. You buy a ticket on Eventbrite and you get to join us in our video stream. So on screen, you see me, the two co-hosts, a celebrity guest. We have Jamie Kennedy Saturday, Kate Quigley Monday, other guests coming up, getting bigger and bigger guests. We just had an article in USA Today. Forbes is doing a story on it, the social distancing social club. And you can laugh live on video with us, and then everybody else can be live in the comments on YouTube. It's every day at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 Eastern, at youtube.com slash thehofstetter. We're doing it on Hofstetter's YouTube page because he has 575,000 followers, only slightly more than my 2,200. I'm bigger on other platforms. I've never been a YouTube-focused comedian. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Judge Vanessa Hutchins. Judge Jared Leto. 
Don't judge me. We're friends. Joe Biden swept another three states. During the pandemic, everybody's like, stay home, don't move. Florida's like, come vote. Florida never makes a reasonable decision about anything. Sorry for yelling. People still voted in Florida. Many alligators voted. No joke, a lot of people did not show up to run the polling places. Like 17 polling places were closed in Florida. should have been open. So it was pandemonium during the pandemic. People trying to figure out how to get to a polling station. They figured it out somehow, also in Illinois, also in uh, Arizona. Biden won all three. There was a great heads-up debate with no audience, the two of them, Bernie and Biden, debating policy. Biden had his best debate for sure, sharpest, seemed the less, the least mentally declinative as he's been thus far. And I said less and least. Again, I make fun of Biden's cogn- cognition, and my brain breaks every time I do that. Biden... You're getting my brain. But Bernie, still to me, much more clearly the leader we need because he's very cogent. That's a key part of it. He has a very detailed plan. And in a time where many of us can't even get tests unless you're the black James Bond, Idris Elba, or Tom Hanks, you can't even get a test to know if you have a potentially deadly disease and we're all like, eh, system's fine. Biden's like, we're just going to slowly expand on Obamacare. How about just, and I'm not a, a big fan of Medicare for all, but you know Bernie will fight for it and will land, hopefully, at a compromise of coverage for everybody. Whereas Biden's incremental, dude. We ain't got time for incremental when the world crumbling, crumbling down. And the world is crumbling down in the city that he loves. And if you close your eyes... You don't even need Spotify when you have this podcast. You get the news. You get all the hits from five years ago, sung poorly by me. So you make the choices, but pay for that Spotify 10 bucks or get on the Patreon. You get two for one here. And uh, of course, you could also keep your your ad-supported Spotify which is never great. You're like on a romantic date. Things are finally getting romantic in the background. You got, ain't no nothing wrong with the little bump and grind. Here at Walmart, we enjoy bringing you the freshest produce every day, except during pandemics when we have no fucking food. Get the fuck away from us. Six feet away from everybody. Don't come near aisles of any products you need. You heard? Right back to your regularly scheduled fuck music. So do it that way if you want. But I can't tell you how many dates were ruined for me in my youth. And by youth, I mean mid-30s by Spotify ads just coming in. You like cheese? You can come buy cheese here at the Cheese Mart. And now back to Jim Shaw now, my pony. I'm not sure what the first word I said there was. But good luck, you know. So it looks like Biden's got this thing wrapped up now, most likely. Bernie's still hanging in because he loves to drag it out. He is a self-hating Jew. He's going to drag it out probably a bit longer, but it's looking electorally like Biden's lead's getting too big, and there's no way Biden, uh, Bernie rather, they're saying both old white guys, will be able to make it to the convention with a majority of delegates, and so it could be a broker convention, could fracture the party. Looks like we're probably not going to do it. I personally still would prefer the bitter old Jewish accountant as a president. We always do these guys that seem like these great 
leaders. They're these hero types. They speak well and they inspire. And Bernie, I grant you, doesn't give you the confidence. It would be hard during a pandemic. I'm here to tell you everybody's going to die. It's not ideal to have a crotchety, angry old Jewish man as your president during a time like that. But that's because of the image. I say we move beyond image and actually have somebody who will get to work, roll his sleeves up, and get it done. Bernie's got dirty sleeves, old shoes. He's going to roll them up, and we're going to crunch the numbers, and we're going to do the best we can. But the only, I talk about it with my guest, Miles Gibrani, coming up in a minute, but the only solace we have is that you know Biden will surround himself with an amazing team. Imagine if Barack Obama was in the cabinet. We'll talk about it. But you know he's going to have great people around him, and he pledged to have a female VP. That was big news out of that debate. Biden said, I will appoint a female vice president. A minute later, said he didn't remember what females were. When asked immediately by Dana Bash of CNN, Bernie was asked, will you also commit right now to having a female VP? And Bernie, being brain dead when it comes to politics, just his one message always, and wanting to help people and the environment, and we have to start the big banks, and the 1%, and the 1%, and the 2%, and 2% milk, 16 people, 16% and no percent. Had a chance to steal that headline back from Biden and say, I too will appoint a female VP, since he will anyway. But Bernie instead answered with the great non-headline grabbing, look, we are looking at it very closely, and I believe it's very likely we will end up having a female vice president be the person we choose, but not committal enough to give you a headline right now. Let Biden take the next three elections. And loses three primaries, and there you go. But I had a big, long conversation with one of my dear friends who sold a company and is now very wealthy last night for a couple of hours on the phone debating yet again the difference between, or not the difference, but why they are so afraid of Bernie. Anybody who has money seems so afraid of Bernie. They're sure he's going to take all their billions away and their millions. I don't know any billionaires, but take their millions away. And they always say millionaires and billionaires aren't evil. They're not evil. Bernie doesn't understand that you need a free market economy. You need companies to thrive. But Bernie doesn't say they're evil. I mean, he might have slipped up during the debate and said they're evil, but that was once. The point is not that we're trying to make billionaires not be a thing. The point is not that we don't want people to thrive. The main And they just hear someone wanting to tax them a little bit more and think they're trying to existentially erase them from existence, and that's not it at all. We just want them to still be able to make as many millions and billions as they want. As I said many times in the campaign trail, only one un- under one very obvious rule, just not while stepping on people, just not on the backs of your workers who aren't making a living wage and have to work two and three jobs and are insecure about their futures and one $400 emergency, they go bankrupt. That's the only thing we need you to fix. If you can pay your workers fairly, so that they can feel at ease and thrive in their lives, then you can be free to make all you want. So we raise your taxes just a bit, and we get you to pay them more fairly, and we raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, and we raise protections for workers, and we increase union membership, and we make sure that you just take care of people, and we as a society take care of all of us, so we have basic needs met. Healthcare, is that too much to ask? Not to be able to be left in the streets outside of a hospital, locking your door like it's a friend of mine at my door, offering me sandwiches and toilet paper? 
That ain't too much to ask. It's not too much to ask either. So just basic, make sure we all are chill and cool and happy and then go ahead and buy more boats. Buy more six level houses you don't need. No one's stopping you. Plus the thing that I think rich people don't get and I definitely yelled this equally like I am now at my friend on the phone last night is if we all are succeeding better and are doing better financially, we'll just have a happier planet, a happier country. The engine of the country will be moving faster. Things will be flowing better. Your employees will be working harder. They'll be happier at their jobs. They'll be incentivized to work harder. Maybe give them a little bit of profit participation, put a worker on the boards of your companies, and then you have people feel like they have a piece of the pie. They have a piece of the success of your company, and you're going to have a much more productive company not to mention a populace that isn't on the verge of rioting because when a pandemic comes by, we can't even afford hand sanitizer or toilet paper. So it's a win-win situation to take care of people. And that's what Bernie fundamentally understands. That's what Warren, I thought, fundamentally understood until she stabbed us in the back and apparently maybe is a fake progressive and just did it for a political platform because she's not endorsing Bernie at all. And it's really hurtful and messed up and not cool. But you do that and everybody chill. That's all we need. But who are we trying to bail out already? They're saying this week there will not be a blank check for airlines. They're losing money during the economy, nearly shutting down, the stock market tumbling from this coronavirus lockdown. There will not be a blank check for them seeking more than $50 billion in coronavirus aid, Democrats warn. How about don't give any fucking money to the airlines? Have you seen the fees? These airlines charge you now for a bag, like you're going to travel bagless. Oh, I'll just go across country with a sweater tied around my waist. Go fuck yourself. They're fine. How about companies, as my girlfriend pointed out, there's so many companies that have zero business now. People are still flying. Some, there's less flights. Yes, they're hurting. Yes, but most businesses shut down completely. Performers, day workers, people working with their hands, flooring companies, anybody that has a company that no one is doing, redoing their floors right now, construction companies, no one's building new things right now when you can't leave the house. People are still flying. Can we stop being up the ass of these airlines? I know they want us up everybody's ass on account of how close they put our seats. I'm going to start poking the back of that seat. You know, as the pandemic starts, I now sympathize more with the seat puncher guy. I was punching the back of that seat in a collective anger at how close the fucking seat is. You need the extra two seats on the plane? You need to charge me $8 for a wrap? On a plane, there used to be free meals. They'd give you metal spoons. You could burn up heroin right there in your seat. You were allowed to smoke in the planes. They had ashtrays in the armrests. And now, $8 for a fucking wrap? Would you like a snack box full of far too much hummus and crackers do you want the driest thing on earth that we can give you then a, a, a six ounce plastic cup with ice above the rim and two sips of water to wash down the mouth drying desert of a snack box full of almonds and cheese spread and 17 kinds of crackers who puts these boxes together camels on what fucking planet is that a snack box that's a drought box for your mouth 
I'll be crawling to the back of the plane begging for a sip of bathroom water. So my point is, let's not give any bailouts to the airlines, okay? Let's take care of regular people. And that's the one thing the Trump administration in Congress with Congress is talking about doing is just writing a straight-up check. They're floating around the idea of $2,000 a person for the next few weeks. And if they can do that, great. 2000 bucks a month? Hit me up with that deal. I'm game. Might be the first thing Trump does. I will dance in the streets and say, orange man, not bad for this one minute. Just this one? Okay, what happened now? You were on that camera? Okay. Shit. When? When you first put your hand up, it just happened? wonder if I can go back. I'll just go back a little bit. This camera's fine, though, as long as it stays with us. I don't have much left to do. If you can mark, please, whatever, like 19 to 20 minutes, another stop down. Or just remember, okay, yeah, whatever. We're still recording, though, right? Great. You're on the one good camera? And Trump administration is talking about one good thing in Congress with Congress, giving cash directly to the American people. They're talking about maybe $2,000 a month even during this stop down directly to people. And this I am on board for. Honestly, if Trump gets this done, working with Congress, working with, with Pelosi, I would be such a fan, not of Trump, but of this one thing. I'd be like, orange man, monster, horrible orange devil man. Did something good by accident. I'd be so tickled pink, tickled in the pink, tickled in the in the black, in the off of the red, not being in the red, but being in the black with that kind of two thousand dollars a month. I'd be a fan. I mean Andrew Yang in it times two during the pandemic? Because we're all freaked out. Look at the word pandemic, break it down. Pandemic. You take the D E M in the middle of pandemic out, put it on the side. What you're left with is the word panic. Dem. Panic dem. That's what they're trying to do with pandemics. Panic dem. Panic dem people. But instead, you're going to give us money? I'm going to be hap, hap, happy, happy, demic. I'll be academically happy and financially happy. Okay? But we can't be afraid to talk about the real truths going on during this pandemic because we can't be afraid to be extra safe, be rude to people. Don't worry about being PC. Because you also scramble the letters in pandemic. You got PC man die. Write it down if you don't trust me. Pandemic, you got PC man die. You're going to be PC. You're going to die if you're a man. Women will be fine. So point is I'd love $2,000. That would be nice. Let's do that shit, okay? Treasury and IRS decided to delay us having to pay our taxes by 90 days. Big shit. We're worried about fucking taxes though? I'm going to take 100 days just to say, fuck you. No, I'm not. I'm scared of those people. Many cities now this week locked down in a major, major way. San Francisco has asked all of its residents until April 7th, I believe, for the next three weeks, complete lockdown, except for anything essential, 
have to stay in their homes. And New York and L.A. and many other cities are saying restaurants are not allowed to be open for customers to dine in. Only takeout. Bars are closed. Nightclubs are closed. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I go clubbing every night. I dance. I get up on the pole. I shimmy. I put glitter on my nipples. That's on pause? What am I going to do with all this glitter? Put it on the floor? Let my dog roll around it? Now I got a glittered up dog. And I'm missing that nightclub freak vibe. So fine. I get it. We'll sacrifice for the country. But you're not going to keep me away from them, that pole for long. You're not going to keep me away from the club for long. Not to mention, can you imagine how disappointing lap dances at a strip club must be right now? During the social distancing phenomenon of six feet? May as well just, just watch the dances for free. Give a few dollars as a tip. You don't need to spend 20 bucks for a lap dance that isn't in your lap. Not that I know or have ever been to a strip club. I don't know. I have never been to a strip club personally, but I've heard that there's lap dances that are pretty great for 20 bucks. I haven't experienced it, but maybe I will as soon as, maybe I'll do virtual. I don't know. I'm probably not going to do virtual, but do tune into the Social Distancing Social Club every day, 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 Eastern. Me, Chris Bowers, Steve Hofstetter, and two comedians performing for a live audience, celebrity guests joining us, no strippers. Maybe we'll do that next week, though, as things continue. And on that note, it is time to bring on my guest a great comedian, a beloved comedian. Um, Maz Jobrani has appeared in numerous films. The TV show's Better Off Ted. He is a regular at all the big comedy clubs. He's been on The Tonight Show. He's been on The Colbert Report, The Late Late Show. He was one of the stars of Superior Donuts, the CBS sitcom. And he has a Netflix hour special called Immigrant. He is an Iranian-American comedian. He attended the PhD program at UCLA. He got a BA in political science and Italian at UC Berkeley. Um, his podcast, Back to School, very interesting podcast where he has on professors, experts, successful people from all walks of life. I've been a guest. I don't know why he had me on. That was nice of him. He has professors, experts, and comedians who sometimes glitter up them nips and do pole dances you know sometimes one slips through so we're gonna go now to my conversation with maz jobrani it's here the time has arrived we already had a great intro we already covered a lot of things in the world but what we didn't cover is the perspective of one of the greats one of the people's favorite comedians maz jobrani everybody that's me. How are you, Ben? Really good. Good to see you, dude. Good seeing you, man. I like the setup. Thank you very much. Um, we're trying to be with the times, and by that I mean I don't ever want to touch anybody again. I know. Isn't it crazy? You know what I've been doing, and this is I think it's very good. I think the Indians knew what they were doing. You do this. You do the yes. namaste. Namaste. Yeah, you, we you introduced me to that idea at the Laugh Factory when you were feeling a little bit under the weather, and... That was the first moment I actually felt a little bit freaked out by the virus was when you were like, I'm sure I'm fine, but I've been feeling a little bit weird. I have to cancel some shows. And you did this bow, and I'm like, shit's getting real. Well, you know, I think that a lot of Americans were, were, in, were in denial, as, as is anybody when, you're, when it hasn't come to you, right? So we think, oh, it's over there. It's over there. And we haven't mm -hmm. had to really go through anything, any hardships like this. Of course, there was September 11th was the last thing I could think of that was close there was the economic crash, but you know, generally speaking, 
it's not like we live in a country where there's civil war. We got to get up and leave. Like, for example, the people of Syria had to or there's gang violence and people are escaping and your whole life is flipped upside down. So I think for the most part, we're used to things working out. And even I, I'm very skeptical whenever I hear about some of these things. And and it wasn't until a few weeks ago, um, because the coronavirus had already started taking its toll in Iran, which was all of a sudden one of the top countries being affected by it. Right. And I was getting ready to do shows in Toronto, which has a big Iranian population. Toronto. Toronto, that's what they call it. So yeah. a lot of the fans from Toronto were writing emails saying, please don't come, the spread of the virus, <laughs> yada, yada. You know things are going bad when your fans are like, please do not come. Well, I mean, that's just what it is now. Yeah. So it's it's. So I felt like I was a little bit ahead of the curve with my comedian friends because a lot of my comedian friends – all of us, we think, oh, no, we can still do our shows. It's fine. But having heard from these Iranians in Canada how serious it is, that's when I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to start doing the namaste. I'm going to start washing the hell out of my hands. I mean, I wash my hands like, you know, I'm a, like I'm a surgeon in the, in, the, uh, in the original room, in the operating room, you know? <laughs> Comedy store is always on your mind. All right. So, um, yeah, man, that's, that's what we're going through. And I hope people take it seriously and they social distance as we are right here. And, we are. Uh, and, and we, I think we'll get through it. I know. It's, it's insane and it's completely taken over like every aspect of our lives. Like it's not like many of us don't stay home a lot all the time anyway. But when you're forced to do it, it just changes the entire mindset. It feels like you're in a bomb shelter somewhere. Well, there's a couple of things. Number one is everywhere is pretty much closed, which is weird. Mm, like yeah. we have that once, you know, you have that during the holidays. I mean, you even get upset when you go on like Christmas to like right. favorite coffee shop and they're closed. You're like, what? How dare they give their workers time off? Right. Um, <laughs> but even the, but, uh, the Chinese restaurants for the Jews are closed. It's crazy. That's what I'm saying. Everything is closed, obviously. So that in itself is something that um, is very different the other thing is I was just telling my wife is interesting because nobody's – I mean people are working from home and stuff. But for the most part, you know, a majority of people are not working. So now everyone's on social media. I mean I get – I've been getting more texts and WhatsApps and you know, so all kinds of stuff more than I ever have. It's, 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 it's like on steroids. So, so it's hard to you know, tune out from it all. So what I've tried to do a couple of times throughout these past few days is – tried not to watch tv during the day because i know i'm going to be watching tv in the evening check the news from time to time but trying as much as i can to stay off the phone because you know that gives you some time to then maybe go exercise if you can um do some other stuff my daughter wanted to build a fort so we built a fort for a little bit like we just with the blankets and stuff not like a right right that's adorable so, and you also mentioned three things now that i personally in my life do not do i don't build forts because i don't have kids and i do not work out i'm on my phone constantly so it's different ways to approach a crisis yeah but you know the working out is actually good i think you should definitely consider it even if it's at home you know even if you spend an hour doing whatever push-ups sit-ups jumping jacks Interesting. Hard pass. Gone, hard hard gone, pass for I me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this, but I've gone out and gone for a run around the neighborhood. I think that's fine. Here. They say that's fine. Yeah. I've been walking yeah. my dog. That's the exercise that I get. I do a very leisurely walk for 15, 20 minutes a day. And I see people coming. I immediately cross the street like they're a homeless, crazy dude. Yeah. Trying to shake you down. And it's just weird. It feels like we're living in a zombie movie. 
Absolutely. It is a crazy time, man. People are zombie-like. Literally, you don't want them to touch you. It's nuts. Can you hear the bouncing of balls right outside my window? Hold on one second. I don't. Did you hear my dog bark a second ago? No, but I'm going to close good. the window because my sure. son is taking a break from his lessons. So let me close the window. <laughs> nice. Maz Jobrani in bed, a revealing look at America's favorite Iranian comedian. <laughs> How does Maz Jobrani close the window? Oh, he goes under the blinds. An under the blind sweep. <laughs> well, you know, there's a psychologist friend of mine who was saying, in a way, we've been training for self-isolation for years now yeah. with with all the social media and, you know, you know how it is. You go into an airport, everyone's heads on the phone. You were just saying yourself that that's kind of your go-to place. I, as much as I try to be off my phone, I'll get into this, I'll get into this spiral sometimes where if I post something on social, I'll just go to see how it's doing. Yeah, it's the worst. And then I'll go Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's like a minor level of OCD or whatever, but I feel like whenever I have anything in my inbox, I feel like I have to respond. So I'll go through and start responding to all these fans. And it wasn't until I was getting crazy requests. Like sometimes you'd have like some fan out of whatever, some other, like some, some fan out of Iran or, or Argentina or somewhere, some far off place who's like, Hey, I'm a teenager, and uh, can we talk from time to time? And I can ask you <laughs> questions about my comedy. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like I, you know, you get caught up in this world. Yeah. And you go, no, I, I'm not going to answer everybody. I don't have time, and and I need to, because it also becomes a, a great way to procrastinate because you feel like you're doing something, but you're not really doing anything. Hugely, yeah. it's a joke for my special. I say, you know, all I do all day is I check Instagram, then Twitter, then Facebook, then I check them all again because it's been a few minutes, and it's a yeah. never-ending loop. Somebody should invent an app unless this exists, and maybe it does where you can just post and you can't check the replies. You can just create and then you can take as much time as you want off from checking how the things are doing. Well, that's the problem. I think a lot of us, when we post stuff, we want to see how it's doing, especially when you're in, in the world that we're in, which is a, you know, comedy. Immediate uh, response. Relies on response. Yeah, it's it not does. just, you know, oh, I'm going to put it out there and let it go. But I try sometimes, like I'll, when I read comments sometimes and I go, what am I doing? Like I just had... I did a um, I did an Instagram live because somebody was like, you should do stand up. And I was like, you know what? I'll do Instagram live and I'll try and do crowd work as I'm doing. And people yes. ask me questions and I'll say stuff, yada, yada. And then and then, of course, when you do your Instagram live, then people can send you messages. And those messages sometimes show up later because right away on the screen, but also later in your inbox. So last night into the night, I was just going through my inbox and some lady was like, she said something, something like, you're ugly and you're annoying. And I, and I, was, and I just made me laugh. I'm like, why? I think I, I have the same my... commenter. Yeah, I'm like, this is the last thing I'm going to get before I go to sleep. Like, why am I checking my inbox, man? It's nuts. I just actually, by the way, launched an online comedy club for this coronavirus quarantine with Hofstetter and Chris Bowers. And we're doing every day at 5 o'clock, one hour, where we have a celebrity guest join us for chat and answering the, the, the chat and just basically making each other laugh. And then we have two younger comedians come on and perform for five minutes. And people tip live, and we're sharing the money with our guests and the comics and just trying to help make up a little bit of the money that everybody's losing right now. That's fantastic. That's you should fantastic. come do it if you want. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. What do you guys call it? What's it called? The Social Distancing Social Club. Fantastic. I like that. That's a good one. Yeah, man. So you're talking about all of your fans from around the world, which really brings me into something I'm very curious to talk to you about. 
you and I came up together. We're about the same age, I think. We've known each other for the better part of 20 years. Laugh Factory was when we were really, you know, originally gigging together and hanging out a little bit at the clubs. Take us through what in your eyes changed your trajectory. Like, you were always very funny. You weren't always one of the most loved successful comics out there what do you think changed did you figure out your branding did you figure out your voice better did you get better at online communications what was it that just took off for you i think it's a hand you know it's a lot of stuff you and i both know you got to be in the game for a long time a lot of times people say overnight success in comedy overnight success is 10 years at least you know oh, yeah. um you look at guys like mark maron who talks about his podcast didn't take off till way later in his career and he has such experience with a stand-up that once he gets that success, he can deliver on it. When people come to see his show, they're seeing mm-hmm. a professional comedian do their thing. And your fans know your voice. Your fans – it's kind of like we're, we have we have many cults. There's people that for whatever reason like us, get us, and they want to come to our show. So for me, a lot of this started happening about 10 years into my career – um, so it was around 2007. I started in 1998, 2007. A couple um, years before me. You're going to go about 23 years now? Yeah. So it'll be, yeah, it'll be 20, it'll be 22 years this year. So, um, we, uh, Mitzi Shore put us together, called it the Arabian Nights with me, Ahmed Ahmed, Aaron Cater, Sam Tripley at the time was part of it. And we were just doing shows where, you know, we do our normal shows, you know, three, four, five times a week at the, at the different clubs. But then once in a while, Mitzi would say, we're going to do an Arabian night show, which was a show with comedians from Middle Eastern backgrounds. And mm. so it wasn't until 2007 when me, Ahmed, Aaron, and Dino Bidala took that, changed the name to Axis of Evil, and did a tour called the Axis of Evil Comedy Tour. I remember it. Yeah, then that went on Comedy Central. So that helped us a little bit but then i think what helped even more was at that same time 2007 youtube was getting more and more popular and these other social media sites weren't you know hadn't started off yet so i remember back then you would get people would email their email lists and they would send clips from youtube so i remember like i kept getting my own links sent to me because i was on people's mailing lists so let's say you, somebody would send this link to like 50 people, and I was one of those people, and it would say, check out this comedian. And my, it was my thing. And it, and it was kept you, going. wow. Yeah, and it kept going to circles, and I go, oh my God, my stuff's being circulated. And so with the takeoff of YouTube, I think that really helped. So I think as comedians, I think in general right now, there's a renaissance for comedy because of YouTube, Netflix, and podcasts. Mm. And the podcasts have been amazing because – as someone who started at the comedy store back when nobody was coming to the comedy store, it was the dark ages. Um, now when I go to the comedy store, like back then you would have a handful of tourists who would come see the show. Some of them didn't mean to speak English. They'd be drunk. It'd be late. You'd just be trying to do comedy and it'd be like, eh, it's going all right. But now when you do a show, those rooms are filled. I mean, not given the coronavirus, but for the most part, the rooms would be filled and you would have fans of, you know, Joe Rogan, Joe Diaz, Marin, Bill Burr, whoever's got these big podcasts going, Tom Segura. Um, so you would do your show, and even if they weren't your fans, they'd be laughing because they understand stand-up comedy. They understand the rhythm of comedy. So I think podcasts, YouTube, and Netflix together 
have really helped escalate comedy for me and for all of us. There's always a next thing. Are you on TikTok yet? I just got on it, and I don't really know what to do with it. I got zero followers, and I was going to post my version of the Holy Moly dance, but I couldn't get the song to play the way I needed it to play, so I can't even figure it out. This is how desperate we are to hold on to our fan bases. We like pretty much have to dance on there. I've already done two videos where I'm dancing. It's the stupidest thing in the world. I love well, that comedian, is, but can he dance? What? Listen, I love dancing. I mean, I start my when I do any of my specials. You look at, I, I start dance. I come out dancing. Oh, nice! It's a big Persian thing. We love to dance. I True. love to dance. And, and the True. truth is, it actually like elevates the energy in the room when you come out like that. The funny thing though is, when I've done shows and people will come up to me afterwards, like in the meet and greet, and they'll be like, "You know, my favorite part of the show was when you danced." And I'm like, "Oh, so the, all the comedy." <laughs> All the perfectly out. honed jokes that I took on the yeah. road for a year. It wasn't yeah. you enjoy the impromptu dancing. Exactly. So we always, you know, have the dream of many of us have written scripts, even people that aren't in the business have a dream of making a movie themselves. That's their big star vehicle. You did that. I'm curious the experience, what made you write Jimmy Vestwood, American Hero, and what did that do for you? Or was that more just a passion project that maybe didn't move the needle as much, or what was it? You know, Jimmy Vestwood came out of this thing. A friend of mine named Amir Ohebsian and I, we'd done a play together years ago. There was a character in it that we both liked. And the character was, I played the character. And he was a Persian guy named Jamshid. That's a Persian name. Mm -hmm. But just to Americanize himself, he would tell everybody, you can call me Jimmy. Call me Jimmy. (laughs) So we took this character, Jimmy, and we extrapolated. We took him out of the play and we said, it's a fun character. What can we do with him? We were both fans of the Peter Sellers Pink Panthers, the Inspector Clouseau, so the original. So good. So from back in the day, and by the way, if you watch those now, you'll see they, they move a lot slower, but there's still a lot of funny scenes in them. But given how fast comedy goes nowadays, like when you start a mo- co- comedy movie now, like the modern day, you either got to be raunchy or it moves really fast. Yeah. Like I tried to watch one of the Pink Panthers with my kids, and the first like 20 minutes was the – uh, jewel thief breaking into the museum to steal the jewel. <laughs> and the kids were like, what's going on? And I'm like, relax, this has to happen. So it was just interesting. <laughs> That's a side note. So the movie itself, um, for, uh, uh, Jimmy Vestwood, American Hero, we wanted to create a Persian uh, Pink Panther. So the character Jimmy Vestwood was that. I was kind of a bumbling idiot who somehow comes around and saves the world. Uh, it took us a long time. We wrote many, many versions over and over and over again. And that's one thing you'll know is you're in it for the long haul. Um, and it wasn't until like 2012 or so when, um, whatchamacallit, when uh, uh, crowdfunding started getting really popular. And we decided to try and crowdfund it. And we did. And we went on, uh, you know, I think it was uh, Indiegogo. We went on Indiegogo, we, we raised some money, then we got some investors, we put it all together. We got a director named Jonathan Kesselman who had directed something called The Hebrew Hammer, which of was course. also kind of a, yeah, it's like a slapsticky movie. We got together and we shot it over three weeks. It was 18 days. We got John Hurd, who's now passed away since. He was uh, the dad in Home Alone. People know John Hurd. He's, he's a face you'd recognize. He was in the movie Big. He played kind of the guy who was uh, Tom Hanks' nemesis. Um, so did he die shooting? Are you responsible for this? No, or? no, he, oh, he died okay. later. He died oh, okay. later. But my, my advice to people is go for it. The experience itself was amazing. We had, a, we had a blast with it. And it's interesting because my community, some of my audience, 
definitely, the, like I said, I've got audience that are Iranian Americans. I have audience that are just Iranians. I have audience that are my wait, wait, don't tell me older white intellectual types. I, you know, liberal left leaning. I have audience that are, you know, uh, the Friday after next crowd. I got audiences from all different places. But the Iranian Iranian audiences in particular is funny because they expect me to always represent us in a positive way. And Jimmy Westwood was very slapsticky. Right. There were fart jokes. He was kind of like bumbling idiot. So there was people who were like, "This is not right. It's not a proper. This is not the proper representation of our community." You're banned from traveling so, to Iran now. Banned? Well, that was before anyway. But uh, <laughs> but it's funny because. Those people like made me think, oh, my God, my own people, the people from my background didn't get it. They don't understand it's slapstick. We really made it for like 12 year old, you know, boys. Really. Right. Like it's, you know, but now once it's found its second life, there are people online who are of Iranian background who come up to and be like, oh, my God, my favorite movie. I watch it 10 times a week, blah, blah, blah. So the point is, you never know. You shouldn't make it because you have. Don't ever make it because of the expectation of what you think. Yeah, you can't do that for How anything. the movie's going to do. Don't make it going. Oh, this is going to win an Academy Award. Make it because you love it. You're you're into it. Like I would, being the star of it, being the co-writer on it, being a co-producer on it. I would go to bed every night for those three weeks, having worked hard, having thought about what we just did, and thinking about the next day. And it was three weeks of a lot of fun. It was exhausting, um, but. You just got to do it. And also now my biggest advice, too, is do it as cheap as possible. Right. Because I don't care what your niche is, but to get movies distributed nowadays is really hard. Yeah, I just did a buddy's movie that was shot entirely on an iPhone called Be Like Trees. And he had me come play myself and actually, but he shot an entire feature film on an iPhone with different lenses on it. And it looks beautiful. It looks like any movie. And, and because of that, you can do sets that are much more elaborate like he's, he has a scene in the Staples Center. He just stole the scene because you're shooting on iPhone. Nobody thinks you're shooting a movie. It's pretty incredible. That's great. Exactly. I think it's like guerrilla movie making and, and as much and get away with it as much as you can and just get it done. You know, that's the key. How much do you think identity comedy is a part of your success finding the niche of pleasing Iranian audiences and being a voice to a group of people that don't often have a voice in mainstream American popular culture. Well, listen, people are going to find you. People of your ilk will find you no matter what, because you probably have a point of view that they can um, uh, relate to. Um, now, that doesn't mean, I mean, look, you might be you might be a Jewish guy who's doing just jokes about, I don't know, dating, and that has nothing to do with being Jewish or not. So you might be a guy who doesn't go into your identity in, the, in that sense. But Yeah, I've done very little of that in my career, and I wonder if that, to some degree, hampers my following. That's why I asked. No, it's, it's neither here nor there, because first of all, there's, a, there's one difficulty is if you accept this idea that I represent my, you know, my group or whatever, you're bound to disappoint them. Like I said, with my Jimmy Vesper movie, I did what I thought was funny to me, but there's people who are like, this is not funny, you're a disgrace. So I tell people I don't represent anybody. I do me. And if some of those things that I do are in line with my community, great. If not, then I, I am myself, you know, and I try to have my own moral compass of how I should behave and how I should be. So let's put that aside. But I just you should ultimately, I think you can't strategize your jokes. You can't be like, I'm going to do this joke because it's going to get more people. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to do. 
I'm going to become the coronavirus comedian because that's what's hot right now, right? I really wonder, though, because I remember years ago, Whitney Cummings gave me the advice. She said that she realized branding was so important that she wanted to be the comedian, the 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 funny woman for the Sex and the City audience, for, like, young women, single, trying to find their way in the world. And she would throw away any – or get rid of any joke that didn't fit that. She didn't want her brand to be diversified in that way. Well, see, I disagree with that part. I agree with the finding of the audience. I disagree with the changing your jokes to just please those people. And I'll tell you why. For example, I, yes, I'm Iranian American, but I'm also uh, a male who's in his late forties. I am a father. So I have like, when people come to my shows, I've had people come to my show sometimes like, again, Iranian Americans have come to my shows after the show, you, you did too much about your kids. You didn't do enough about Iranians. And I go, well, that's what's on my mind are my kids <laughs> right. right now. So I'm talking about what makes what's funny to me. And the more you do that, it's like the book Fountainhead. I don't know if you've ever read Fountainhead. It's my by favorite, book, favorite book of all time. Yeah. So the architect who just keeps doing his thing. Mm. I forget his name. Howard guy, Rourke. Huh? Howard Rourke. Ar- 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 Howard Rourke. Yeah, Howard Rourke. Howard Rourke. He keeps doing his thing, and at the end of the book, it comes around. People recognize it. So for me, I go, there's two things here. One is the material you're creating, and two is finding an audience. So the material you're creating, I think, should be things that are funny to you regardless. Now, sometimes you come up with a joke. You'd be like, I really can't do that joke. Like Maybe you come up with a joke about, I don't know, whatever, whatever the subject is. Super uh, dirty jokes I tend to give to other comedians. Yeah, super dirty jokes, right? So you're like, you know, I can't really do that. It's just not my voice. And I, I, I'm kind of like that too. I, can't, I, like, I couldn't do a super dirty joke either because it's just not my brand in general. And it's not, you know, maybe I'll do it around us in a green room. Right. But then, but then I'll turn to someone else. We like, say horrible things in green rooms. If anybody yeah, exactly. recorded our green rooms, we'd, we'd be canceled tomorrow. Exactly. So there's that. <laughs> then the, the finding of the audience is different. Finding of the audience is funny because I had this conversation with Sebastian Maniscalco way back when. I had this, uh, this discussion with Kyle Dunnigan way back when because for me, my audience kind of found me early on. With that access of evil, I was 10 years in and the Middle Eastern community started to really embrace me and, and I started doing bigger shows. And I was talking to Sebastian at one point and he was doing a lot of material about dating at the time. And I told him, I said, and we had the same manager and I was like, you should talk to the manager to see if they can get you because this stuff was hilarious. And I go, you should talk to the manager to see if they can get you to like team up with a dating site like um, Hello Cupid or whatever those things were and see if they can get those sites to put ads out and organize a comedy night for cu- new couples to come to your show because you have so much material about first date, second date, third date. Yeah. And that was an idea I came up with just to go see if you can get those people to come out. The same thing with Kyle Dunnigan. We were talking about how do you find your audience. And this is when he was doing stand-up in the store. And I was like, maybe your audience is like a younger college audience. But I was like, I don't know how you get to them. But you got to find a way to get to them. So the point is definitely finding your audience. You can definitely go to organization. It's great to find. They call them super fans, right? Get your super fan to get 10 people, 20 people, 30 people from their group, whatever that is, whether it's uh, the college Democrat. Interestingly enough, I just did shows recently where I was doing some, whatever it was, just doing my jokes. And this is when you find out how jokes are universal. I came off stage as I was getting off stage. There was like these girls probably in their early 20s. They weren't Middle Eastern. They weren't, 
you know, obviously didn't have kids. They were young kind of girls that were probably college age or something. And they were, they were like, they were asking me, they go, where can we see more? And it was interesting because you realize you just do you and people will, will relate. So it's the kind of that weird fine line because you need to find your audience and for some amount of time stick to what you're doing. I'm sure Sebastian, and then sometimes you can't even, sometimes you do get pigeonholed. Like, I bet there's tons of stuff Sebastian probably doesn't feel like he can do now because yeah. he's got a very particular style of comedy now that's evolved and he's found an audience that wants that. Absolutely. It, I think I think more so if you're going to go out into the bigger world, like with a social media post, let's say. Sometimes I'll sit there in the back of my mind and go, What's the reaction this is going to get? Or if you're going to post, uh, you know, do a special and you're going to put it out there, what's the reaction this is going to get? Now, that said, you look at a guy like Chappelle, you get to look at a guy like Bill Burr, you look at a guy like some of these ones that came out recently that had some controversial material, but I think they were unapologetic about it. And as comedians, you know, we respect that. Um, but it's so much easier to be unapologetic these days when you're Chappelle. Yeah, but that's no one's why, canceling Chappelle, but but we can be canceled no, but, a lot more easily. Well, no, but how does Chappelle get to be Chappelle? Because he found his voice is stuck to it. I saw yes. a quote from Whoopi Goldberg who said, "Like I don't give a s about you know, I don't give a shit or whatever about what people like. I, I can't care about what people think." And so, because ultimately, if you start trying to yeah yeah find what it is that people are going to think, then you are becoming a jukebox. You may as well just take requests. Totally. That's the, that said, you know your voice. You just said, like, if the joke is super dirty, you probably don't feel comfortable doing it. I'm the same. Like, I grew up in a family with immigrant parents where we learned respect, and it was like, respect your elders, don't use bad words. My mom used to say, don't use bad words, don't use bad words. So it got to a point where even when I started doing stand-up, and I'd be at the comedy store following someone who just, you know, just dropped a bunch of F-bombs, I wouldn't cuss. I try as much as I can, especially when I'm doing stand-up, to not worry about what the audience is going to think if I say certain things. My, my fan base is going to think. But then here's a, here's a very interesting question and one that I sometimes struggle with. As you know, I get very political, and you obviously do too. We've been on NPR together. You do Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Persian audiences especially, I wonder if they're touchy. Oftentimes, I know a lot of Persian people tend to support Trump for some reason. Do you ever get backlash being a, a very liberal comedian dipping into politics, and, and do you ever integrate it in, into your stand-up? Do you feel like that there are lines you don't want to cross there? Again, interestingly enough, I thought that a lot of immigrants were going to be very against Trump, but you're right. A lot of Iranians, especially wealthier Iranians in America, support Trump. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was doing jokes and people started, you know, getting upset at me during my shows when I realized, oh, my God, this is real. And so early on, I continued to do my Trump jokes and I would and I got into an argument with somebody at the improv one time where they were yelling at me. I was yelling at them. And then the rest of the audience kind of turned to me and they're like, what happened? You know, they were like, what, what happened to the show? And I lost myself. Yeah. And it reminded me. It happens I to me. Yeah. I can't engage from the stage. So. Right. The, the name of my current tour became the Peaceful Warrior Tour because the idea was I'm going to keep doing my messaging, but if you guys yell at me, I'm going to try and handle it in a very peaceful way. So I ended up actually doing that a few times. There's actually a clip on my YouTube channel where some lady wasn't Persian. She was like some blonde lady. Uh, it was the Flappers, and I did some Trump jokes, and she started yelling 
from her, the audience is like, I'm offended as a woman, you this, that, the other. And I was like, that's fantastic. I'm so happy we live in America where you can be offended and you can have your own opinion. And I posted it because the whole point was to show how this lady had lost her mind and how I was <laughs> able to just remain calm and just reiterate that that's the beauty of America. We should make fun of our leaders. We should make fun of our president. Even if you are supportive of him, you should not be in this dictatorial dicta uh, uh, frame of mind, this draconian frame of mind that says, don't make fun of the president. Right. Whether that's the, the weirdest part of Trump supporters is they just don't even want to hear insults about their dear leader. I had this video that went viral, three million views, because I got a death threat from a Trump supporter that said, don't talk about the president. It's like, since when in America do you not make fun of the president? That's what this country's built on, the freedom to do that. Yeah, I think that unfortunately a lot of people uh, forget that. And I think people that have not lived in other countries or don't have a tie to other countries, being Iranian-American, I know how little freedom people of Iran have to criticize their leaders. You know, we see China has just uh, kicked out the American journalists because they don't want people covering their handling of the coronavirus. Which makes me feel that they must be covering up crazy numbers they're not reporting. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And so I think it's our duty as Americans to be critical of our of our leaders, whether the Democrat or Republican. And it's funny. Also, the other thing that I see is a lot of times people do this like deflecting. You know, you 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 criticize Trump. They go, well, what about Obama's handling of the H1N1 or whatever it is? I go, let's not we're not talking about that right now. We're he's talking not about, president now. What is this constant? He's not president. And 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 and. It's not that discussion. So basically, and I made comedy, fun of Obama back then. It's like you need to be able to take on Trump. Certainly, is much more worthy of attack than Obama. But you have to hold all your leaders to account. Yeah, listen. Ultimately, I think it's it's this this crazy mentality that people have gotten into. And so I try. Listen, I realized that sometimes when I was going too much into Trump material, like people aren't at the show to hear me do an hour on Trump totally. because at, at that point they're like, "Wow, this is an obsession." We need to laugh, and you're just reminding us of how totally. dire it is. Even when I was but running for president, I would only do about 10 minutes of Trump stuff in my act, and the rest was just normal material. Yeah, so you could still go into it. And, and my my uh, uh, what I implore my audience, I go, listen, I go, I go, listen, if it's funny, laugh at it. Whether you're a supporter of his or not, let's all admit that no human being is perfect. So if it's funny, laugh. If it's not funny, don't laugh. And other jokes are coming down the, you know, in a, in a few minutes that you might find funny. And the best thing that I say to get Trump supporters to feel comfortable laughing when they start getting tight or yelling at me, I say, of all presidents, this one better be able to take a joke. He talks shit to people all the time. This yeah. president literally is giving stupid garbage pail kid nicknames to people. Stupid Nancy, lazy eyed Ted. It's like, I think you can handle a couple jokes, buddy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's the problem. I think a lot of people you really get defensive. I go, I'm not making fun of your grandmother. I go, relax, take a deep breath. You're at a comedy club. You're at a comedy show. And let's admit that this guy really is someone who should be able to take jokes. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's a mind blowing when people shut off. I don't know what it is. I have no idea why they get so defensive of the, for this guy. I mean, the fact is, I think because they know, I, I think it's because it's fragile. They know that this guy, I think in the back of their head, they know that they're supporting a real idiot and yeah. they, and they are afraid to have it challenged. They know he's really like, I think this guy's for real, but 
don't challenge it because I know he's probably also full of shit. Well, that's why I think they try and flip it on you. They go, how about your guy? How right. about this? How right. about that? And you go, no, it's not about my guy. Let's Hillary's a murderer. Guy. Okay, even if she is a murderer, she's not fucking president. Yeah. yeah, if you said to me, let's talk about the person that you supported, can you find jokes? I would say, yes, I can. So similarly to a Trump supporter, if we said, can you find jokes about this guy? Can we say that there are funny yeah. things he's done? Yeah. And can we can we admit that some of those things are bad things that he's done. I mean, that's the other problem. I think he set up this thing where he said he never takes responsibility. So he goes, I am perfect. I will find this. I have the solutions. He, he said it just recently. He goes, the buck doesn't stop with yeah, me. I'm I take no responsibility at all. And then, so, then yeah, Michelle Cinder from PBS NewsHour says, how about the fact that you disbanded the pandemic office in the White House? And he said, yeah. and they said that makes us more vulnerable. Do you take responsibility for that? And he goes, that's a nasty question. And also, I don't even know about that. Tony, maybe Tony knows. He literally just blames whoever. The man yeah. takes no responsibility as president of the United States. That would never be accepted by any president. This guy, he has people under a hypnosis that is unbelievable that he yeah. does so that someone- and they still don't hate him. So when you have someone, I mean, it's kind of a, I'm not sure what it's called in psychological terms. I think it's narcissism, but you have someone who says, I am perfect. I, I'm, I, I have no imperfections. Yeah. I've never made a mistake and I can't make mistakes. Well, then if people buy into that, then they go, no, he, he wasn't responsible for disbanding the pandemic department. John Bolton was, maybe Tony Fauci was, right. maybe whoever else was. And it's like, well, you are the guy in charge, so you should have – if you don't know about it, then you're completely – then that's scary in itself that there's people in your government getting rid of a pandemic department that was set there to yeah. deal with this. And if you do know about it, then you're, then you're responsible. It's you confirmation so, bias is what it is. Yeah, people, once they yeah. believe a thing, they're so invested, they desperately look for any nugget of information that can confirm what they already believe. So yeah. instead of ever taking in new information, whatever excuse Trump gives, that's now the letter of the law. It's the word of God. They're like, oh, he said he didn't know about it. He obviously didn't know about it. And he, yeah. if they yeah. were clear, anybody else were speaking, it would be clear as day that he's lying through his teeth. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So what's your take on the presidential race in general? Who do you think is going to win? Are you public about who you're supporting? Where are you at? My public uh, statement is that I will vote for Donald Duck, if he's nominated, I don't care. No more Donald, please. No more Donalds. Yeah, I just want. I want to get rid of. I want to. You know, I. I want to get out of. I want some adults in the room. Yeah, and it's not just him. It's also his whole administration. I mean, the people running this. It is. It's like. It's like a. It's. It's as if the World Wrestling Federation just found its way into the White House. It literally did. Trump used to be in the World Wrestling Federation. There you have it. So that's who (laughs) we have, and I feel like a lot of people now that like when I see like. Tony Fauci, Anthony Fauci of CDC, I feel like we're in good hands. But when I see a lot of his other people from your uh, Jared Kushner's to your uh, whoever else he's taking advice from to to him, you know, Kushner repeatedly told Trump that this was being overblown by the liberals to make Trump look bad. And he bought it. And that's what led partially to this very, very slow response and a, a month, a crucial month wasted. Yeah. So with all that in mind. I'll vote for anybody. And I like a lot of what Bernie says about, you know, uh, education for all, the health care, a lot of that stuff. But that said, I feel like our best choice. I mean, 
I think Biden right now, you see the numbers are supporting that he is the guy. And if yeah. he is the guy and he says, I will bring in somebody wrote a great op-ed piece about like bring the cabinet and, and bring the, some of these candidates into your cabinet. Totally. Bring your Elizabeth Warrens, bring the Andrew Yangs, bring the people with ideas, uh, you know, so that when I vote for them, I feel like we have a team coming in. This is a team. And, that's I, coming in. and I just had a beautiful thought, too, that. While Biden, I think it's clear, is not at his cognitive best, and that's really unfortunate that like this is the best shot we can put up, I do think he's got good fight against Trump. I do think he's got good morals. He's a great man, and, yeah. and you know he will surround himself with truly the best people. And I had the thought, what if he puts Obama in his cabinet? What if Obama is secretary of state or appoints him to a Supreme Court justice? That could be incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a fan of Obama still. I mean, I think there's a lot of good people. Like, one of the things that's kind of uh, mind-blowing is why can't we get someone in their 40s or 50s to be a good candidate to be here to get to come this far? Yeah. I mean, whether it's your Cory Bookers or it's your – even your Pete Buttigieg's or going back. Now, what about a woman? What woman? What about – I mean, Elizabeth Warren's a little bit older, but I don't know. It's just – it's mind-blowing that we couldn't. You know? I think part of it from having been on the inside of it in this race, it just – anybody can run, but not everybody can compete. Just I don't think it's a coincidence that in all of these elections recently, the person who was the front runner before the campaign began ends up getting the nomination. Biden yeah. was the front runner before he announced. And look, after 18 candidates, he's winning, and Bernie was number two when he was the, the front runner for the progressives. And yeah. Hillary was the front runner before she announced, and she wins. I just think the party structure and the establishment has such a stranglehold on who gets to actually resonate that they tilt the scale in a major way, and it really affects how real our democracy is. It's not exactly a democracy of the people. Anyone can run, but good luck. Yeah, and it's also, you know, uh, popularity, how well they're known, what kind of yeah. uh, name recognition they had before. So there's all that involved. So as of now, I wish that people can really rally behind someone like Biden and and, and, and maybe Bernie can get his supporters to support Biden, if Biden agrees to address some of these issues that Biden wants to address, I mean, uh, Bernie wants to address. So I don't know. We just I feel like we really need to beat Trump in this election somehow. And, and, and we can't have another four years of this incompetency. 100 percent. Before we go into Twitter answers and bring the audience's comments into the conversation and then a quick Twitter and a quick thunder round to lighten it up. I just have one very easy, light question for you. Do you believe in God, Moss? Do I believe in God? Yep. Well, it's an qu easy question, but my Thank answer you. is that I believe in an energy that's out there. I don't believe in like a guy in the clouds. I believe that nature is part of God. I believe that there's a force that's beyond what we, you know, sometimes there's things that are just inexplicable. And to me, that's part of believing in God and the spirituality and all that stuff. And, uh, oh, a, a last question before we get into the, this Twitter answers round. Uh, Tom Brady leaving the Patriots. Thoughts? Uh, could care less. What a fun time, my friend. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me on, man. It's been a lot of fun. What can you plug? What's going on lately? Yeah, the, th the things I have to plug. Uh, so I have a show at, uh, oh, no, wait, that was canceled. Um, but then I have another show at, uh, oh, no, that was canceled too. But I have another show, uh, basically... Um, people can listen to my podcast. It's called Back to School with Maz Jobrani. They can stream my special on Netflix. It's called Immigrant. It's there. 
They can watch all of my YouTube clips and they can follow me on social media. I'm going to be trying to do uh, stand up every day, every other day. It's at Maz Jobrani on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that. And wash your hands. I have been on the podcast. It is a great time. Back to school. Please check it out. Yeah, you were on it, man. And you did great. It was great to have you on the podcast. And we're still, you know, bringing on interesting guests and uh, everyone's looking for things to entertain them with. So we're going to keep bringing on guests on Back to School and hopefully people can check them out there. I really appreciate you being here. Stay safe, my friend. Ben, thanks for having me on, man. It was great talking to you. Be safe and keep your distance. Bye. And it is time now to check in with the big Gleebers and all of us. The Gleeb Squad, the friends with benefits. The Gleeb Nation. It's time for Twitter answers. I asked the Brain Trust, have you been self-isolating? With who? What's it been like? Well, we got some interesting answers. Uh, Sonia Gwen is freaked out, says Gen X, baby, it's been 100 nervous in regard to survival at large and also disturbed with our government in addition to feeling especially very sad for Italy. You're taking on a lot. I understand. Everybody feels sad for Italy. Our government, I think, was lost a long time ago, so you can let that one go. Just to worry about self-preservation and a little bit of thoughts for Italy, I think, is the move. Chris, UK Brain Trust, our British bureau, says he will self-isolate when he runs out of toilet paper. I don't see the connection. I think that's the worst time to self-isolate. You're going to have to go out and get new toilet paper. But he says he relies on overtime from work. Being off means he loses a big portion of wages. If you're off, you only get government sick pay, which is terrible in the UK. So until full lockdown is mandated, it is business as usual. Uh, it's insane how much people are personally suffering financially instantly. And I really do hope the government can get us some cash. We need it. one eight seven seven cars for kids one eight five five cash for everybody i need some cash bring me some cash which reminds me my patreon you can subscribe at patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash ben glebe g-l-e-i-b please if you can afford it we have a five dollar tier give you a lot of great benefits even more for the ten dollar tier whatever you can afford if you've enjoyed these years of the podcast only if you can afford it if you can't please keep listening for free forever i love that um, but if you can support, please do a lot of great bonus content coming your way during a time when we have no income coming our way. Um, Casey Dermody on Twitter said, I'm self-isolating with monkeys. Seriously, I am stuck in a remote part of Bali until April 1st, hoping I'll be able to get back for now staying in and really hoping another one doesn't jump into my outdoor bathroom. There's a picture of a monkey jumping into an outdoor bathroom. This has been verified. And an update tweet from Casey. A huge monkey just tried to pry my back door open where the tub, shower, and toilet are. I don't know what to do. How do I go to the bathroom now? Um, bad enough. Global pandemic. Fears of touching anybody. Your only safe haven is staying home. And then large monkeys are trying to attack your toilet? Toilet paper is the least of your problem. You're going to get monkey butt. You're going to get bitten by a monkey on the butt, affectionately known to the Bali residents as monkey butt. So I wish you best of luck on both pandemic reasons and also monkeys. Also, monkeys spread diseases a lot. You're in trouble, dude. Maybe just don't go. Hold it in. Hold it in till April 1st. Is it possible? And uh, we have a very interesting response 
Well, first, we have one more response. Not that it's not interesting, but Anadax, Melissa says, three-way FaceTiming with friends and beer. That's the best way. Just get a little buzz going with your friends that you don't have to touch. No one wants to touch their friends anyway. You don't like your friends breathing on you. My friend Chris Bowers is playing beer pong with people through FaceTime. You remove the cup that the person sinks it in on the other side of the FaceTime. So you can literally even play the most social of party games, beer pong, with people and not even have to talk to them or have them drink your beer. It's a perfect situation. And a very interesting response here with, um, from Courtney McCrimmon, who replies, Due to crazy circumstances, I've had to isolate with my kids and my ex-husband, who hasn't been around us in five years. And I just can't believe I divorced him, and here we are at the end of the world together. Not ideal. Have you thought about trying to give him coronavirus? It's a suggestion. I don't, he's young, I'm assuming. You seem young. He'll be fine. But maybe it's a good way to send the message. You're just not that into him. Um, or maybe work things out, get back together. Make another baby. You're cooped up. Maybe you guys can work things out. I've given you the range of options here. Anywhere in between you choose to land, that is on you. I wish you the best of luck. And on that note, oh, reminder to everybody, please check out my hour special, Neurotic Gangster, on YouTube. Watch Idiot Test, a great bingeable show if you want a nice, non-political, non-coronavirus-related break. Test your brain. Let me make fun of contestants. Netflix, Idiot Test, season one is on there. And uh, again, the patreon.com slash Ben Please check it out. Subscribe if you can. And it is time now for the Thunder Round. Bank of Oklahoma is suing a marijuana dispensary. Why? Because they're calling themselves Dank of Oklahoma. The dispensary is also using a very similar logo to the bank. And they say that they're infringing their federally registered trademarks. I I think banks shouldn't be suing anybody. Okay? I think, generally speaking, banks have zero social capital where we're going to be cool with them suing others. People want a little weed, especially during a time of pandemic isolation. Let people get high. It's free advertising for your bank. Maybe people will get real high at Dank of Oklahoma, come into the Bank of Oklahoma, withdraw all their money, or put in money, you get fees. I don't really understand how banks work. The point is, let people get high, drop the lawsuit, don't be a dick. Which reminds me, you can also still sign, it still exists, my change.org petition at tinyurl.com slash don't be a dick pledge. Because that's the best way that we can all not be dicks. And on that note, it is time for the Thunder Round. What am I talking about? We're already in the Thunder Round. Guys, the isolation has ruined my brain. I have cabin fever. And I apologize for that weird mistake that my brain just hit you with. It's time for the Thunder Round. What? I did it again. How does this keep happening? We're already in the Thunder Round. What is wrong with me? Okay, let's just quickly go to the Thunder Round. It's time for the Thunder Round. I did it again. This keeps, I'm stuck in a Groundhog Day loop, and there's nothing I can do. There's nothing you can do. You're, don't, you, go ahead, try to press the forward 15 seconds button. I'm just going to wait. It's time for the Thunder Round. We're stuck forever. A woman in the U.S. has become the laughing stock of the Internet after revealing she has spent the past few days mistakenly washing her hands with a block of cheese rather than a bar of soap. This dum-dum had cheese 
near her sink, where she usually keeps her soap, thought the cheese was soap. Very stupid moment. You'd feel like a real dumb dumb head if you did that once. Oh my God, I'm using cheese on my hands. Let me put that down and use the soap. Several days until she realized, is it weird this cheese isn't foaming like soap? Again, nobody should get the coronavirus. It's admirable. She's washing her hands. But I'm just going to give you a scientific fact. You're far more susceptible if you wash your hands with cheese. So I don't know what what her strategy is, what her game plan be. But I do know that survival of the fittest, I mean, I wish her a little bit of extra luck. Because it's hard out there for both pimps and people who believe soap is cheese. And vice versa, cheese is soap. Lastly, don't let swimming pools make you pregnant. An Indonesian Child Protection Commission, the KPAI, letters that don't match at all. Commissioners apologize for claiming that women could get pregnant from swimming pools if they're in the same pool as men. City Hikmawati is the person's name, who apologized for making a, quote, inaccurate statement, saying, quote, it was a personal statement and not from the KPAI, which means other letters. Adding that she'd already made a retraction, but not before drawing widespread ridicule. Obviously, City made the statement during an interview with Tribune News saying women should exercise caution in public pools or risk getting pregnant, saying there's a specially strong type of male sperm that may cause pregnancy in a pool. Even without penetration, men may become sexually excited and ejaculate, therefore causing a pregnancy. Now let me just tell this to everybody listening. Obviously what she's saying is true. I got lots of people pregnant just from swimming in pools, unrelated to them, keeping a safe six-foot social distance. But it's hard to prove they're my kids. So I don't think there's a scientific basis for what she's saying. If any of my kids are listening from that summer during camp when I swam in that pool six feet away from people and was unable to control myself, hey, hello, hope you're subscribing to the podcast, not interested in meeting you. Good luck out there. Also, this person should resign. What a complete maroon. People in Indonesia say a lot of stupid things. A lot of people in the world. I mean, our own president's not setting examples for being particularly erudite. But even Trump, I don't think, would think you can get somebody pregnant in a pool. He would have done it by now. Also, could you imagine Trump in a pool? Terrible nightmare. Also, he did, however, believe and does still believe, or at least says a bunch of bullshit, that windmills can cause cancer on account of how they take energy from the wind, which to any reasonable thinking person could cause cancer on account of what the fuck is he talking about? The one benefit of self-isolation you would hope is that Trump wouldn't be able to penetrate our minds, and now it feels like it's more Trump than ever. He's our only link to stopping this crisis, is Donald Duck Trump. Holy, do I pray for humanity? You're damn right I do. I'm staying out of swimming pools, especially in Indonesia. I hope monkeys don't break into your home or your bathroom. Stay home. Quarantine yourself. Um, Try to get some rest. We'll see you next week. And until last week, next week, this has been Last Week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth.